Let's open our Bibles together to the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Colossians. <clears throat> while you're turning there, um, let me just uh, mention to you while Ed was reading from um, Hebrews 12, it just reminded me of um, why every Sunday morning is, is a really anxious time for me. Um, Maybe you don't uh, see that. Uh, I certainly feel it every moment. But um, in, in Isaiah 66, it, uh, it talks about how God is uh, the exalted one, the creator. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. And it goes on in verse 2 to say, All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one, this is the person to whom I look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. There's a sense in which every time I, <clears throat> I get into this pulpit and open God's word, there's a trembling that's going on inside of me um, because we serve a God of incredible majesty and that he would reveal himself to us is incredible, that he would speak to us through his word. Um, and that's why, you know, we always pray, Lord, give us ears to hear. Um, give us hearts that are open. Give us spirits that are humble uh, to hear your word and um, to be changed by it. And that's our goal every time we open the word of God, is to that the Holy Spirit would further our understanding of God, Christ, see our desperate need for him. Colossians 1. Let me reread what we looked at last week and then just go up to verse 12. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints 
in light. Our prayers reveal our priorities. What we ask God to do for ourselves and for others flows directly from what our hearts desire the most. For example, if our deepest desire is relief from suffering, then we will pray only for the healing of our body and forget about the healing of our soul in relationship to God. Or we will pray only for a change in our circumstances rather than the change that is needed in our own hearts to make us more like Jesus. If you have been a Christian for a while, then you may have participated in prayer meetings that focused almost exclusively on temporal concerns or relief from temporal pain. Lord, you know Aunt Gertrude's arthritis is acting up again. And and Heavenly Father, I'm sure you realize that Uncle Herbert's digestive organs are not functioning as faithfully as they should. Give these dear saints some relief. Instead, what if we also ask God to revive Aunt Gertrude's soul so that she can persevere with joy through the trials that are appointed for her? Or what if we ask God to give Uncle Herbert the grace to continue to function in ways that bear fruit in God's church for the glory of Christ? An article published by Banner of Truth reflects on this common problem in too many churches. The author writes, A cursory look at what passes mostly for prayer in our congregations is woefully lacking in the characteristics of revival prayer. We tend to pray organ recitals, praying for the healing of Aunt Bertha's bunion, or for what borders on the content of the prosperity gospel preachers praying for a raise or the finalization of the purchase of our lake house. Now, we know we can and should pray about everything with thanksgiving, Philippians 4, 6. But there must be a higher purpose for Aunt Bertha than the mere relief of her bunion pain or a good deal on one's second home. If our deepest desire is to receive material blessings from God, then we will pray only for those and forget the reality that some of God's richest blessings come through seasons of profound pain and loss and waiting. Long, long, long Waiting. One of the books that really impacted me this summer is entitled When God Doesn't Fix It Lessons You Never Wanted to Learn, Truths You Can't Live Without. 
In it, worship leader and songwriter Laura Story gives testimony of the Lord's faithfulness on the painful journey alongside her husband Martin. She describes the anguish of learning about his brain tumor, which then resulted in traumatic brain injury, followed by their walk through the trial of infertility. Most of all, though, the book reveals the deep gospel-shaped heart work that God began to do in Laura, which resulted in her most famous song, Blessings, which was written in the valley of pain, the valley of loss, the valley of waiting. And the whole message of the song is this, that God's most profound blessings sometimes come to us when he does not give us what we ask for. We pray for blessings. We pray for peace. Comfort from f- for family. Protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity, We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while, you hear each spoken need, yet love us way too much to give us lesser things. We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. And we cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness. We doubt your love as if every promise from your word is not enough. And all the while, you hear each desperate plea and long that we'd have faith to believe. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you are near? And what if the trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? Our prayers Reveal our priorities. What do your prayers reveal about your heart? What do your prayers say about who or what you love the most? Here in this passage of Scripture, Before us this morning, the Holy Spirit reveals the heart of the Apostle Paul for the believers in Colossae. It reveals his longing for them, his longing for the transformation of their hearts as they become deeply rooted and built up in Christ. He knows that this is what will lead to spiritual blessing and fruitfulness in gospel-shaped living. So our big idea this morning is this. Gospel-shaped prayer prioritizes heart transformation. 
which reflects the character of Christ and produces spiritual fruitfulness. As we're working through verses 9 through 12, we're just going to see how Paul's understanding of the gospel and his love for Christ shapes the way that he prays for the people to whom he ministers. He longs for them to receive far much more than temporal blessings, earthly joys, and comforts. He wants something much deeper than that. And so verse 9 begins with, and so, meaning in response to what he has just told them about his thanks to God for their faith in Christ, their love for other believers, and the hope that is laid up for them in heaven, he prays even more earnestly for their continued progress in Christ. He is not content to leave them where they are. Harry Ironside, longtime pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, wrote this. The apostle was not content to know people were justified and hence safe for eternity. He was controlled by the earnest desire that each one should understand the hope of his calling in order that the life and walk might be in harmony with it and that they might remember they were here to represent Christ, their risen head. As we saw last week, the Apostle Paul's heart was deeply grieved when he learned of how these believers were being led astray by legalists and worldly philosophers. Look at chapter 2 just to remind you again. He exhorts them in verses 6 and 7 to walk in the same way that they received Christ, which is by faith, uh, and that they be rooted and built up in him. And I shared a little bit with you of my own personal testimony and how God brought faithful, loving believers into my life to disciple me for the first couple years of my Christian life. And then a couple years later, I ended up getting a little bit off track into a really legalistic church that heaped upon me rules and regulations uh, from other people that were not clearly from God's word. And I felt this pressure to conform myself to them. And I lost a lot of my joy and sense of freedom in Christ. And thankfully, God opened my eyes. And Colossians is one of the books that he used to do that to help me to see that I ought not to let any other believer lord it over my conscience and cause me to be derailed in my growth in Christ. And that's one of the reasons why I love discipling young believers so much because I want to get them rooted and built up in Christ and protected from that, that detour, so to speak. 
And that's why he warns us in 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Instead of being content with them becoming heartless and judgmental rule keepers who, who force their mandate, man-made expectations on other people as mandates, Paul longed for these believers to know the fullness of life in Christ. That is what he longed for, that they would know the fullness of life in Christ. And I have personal confession to make. I, I am a greedy pastor. Like the apostle, I am greedy for your spiritual growth. I will do anything I can to help you make progress in Christ. I will do anything and everything I can to help you come closer and closer to Jesus that you might be made complete in him. I will never be content with spiritual immaturity. As long as I have breath in my lungs, I will do whatever it takes to nourish your souls and help you to grow to maturity in Christ. I am greedy for your faith in Christ, your love for all the saints and your hope which is laid up for heaven, in heaven. Why is that? Because like 2.9 says, I, I want you in your daily experience to know the fullness of life in Christ as I want to know that for myself. My heart's passion And desire is to one day present you to God as complete in Christ. Just as Colossians 1, 28 says. That involves toil as Colossians 1, 29 says. And that toil that Paul speaks of in 129 is not just the teaching of the word in such a way that Christ is exalted and you see the fullness of life in Christ, but it also involves prayer. Look at 2.1, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. What is the struggle that Paul has in his heart for them? It involves prayer. It involves going to the throne room of God and pleading with God to bless his people with his word and to cause them to see the glories of Christ so that they will treasure him more than anything this life has to offer. Heart-transforming prayer is spiritual toil. So if we are committed to each other's spiritual growth, then we need to learn to pray the way Paul prays here in verses 9 
through 12. We need to pray for heart transformation. We see two ways in today's passage, two ways we must pray for the spiritual growth that glorifies God. Number one, pray to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul didn't know these Colossians face to face. He had not met them yet, but he heard reports about them through other believers. And from that day that they heard of them, Paul says, we've not ceased to pray for you. How? That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. What does that mean? Well, since God revealed his will to us in the scripture, a growing knowledge of the word of God is essential to knowing God's will. And here I'm talking about his overall will, which is what I think Paul is speaking of here, not the specific nitty-gritty details of each of our lives, though obviously God cares about that, and he will lead us according to the general principles of his word by his spirit. But here he's talking about an understanding of the big will of God in redemption and glory and the ultimate fulfillment in Christ when he returns as our glorious king. Well, this knowledge involves growing in spiritual wisdom and understanding, he says in in verse 10, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So this isn't just a head knowledge. This isn't just the kind of Bible knowledge that makes you the champion at Bible trivia. This is knowledge that has been woven into the fabric of your life and it comes out as wisdom wise living, and an understanding heart. You want to see what this wisdom looks like? Turn to the right in your Bible to the book of James. James presents the most comprehensive uh, summary, concise and comprehensive at the same time, a summary of the differences between God's wisdom, spiritual wisdom, and man's wisdom, or what he calls hellish wisdom. Wisdom, because of where it comes from. Uh, but notice the contrast here in James 3. And, and it's good for us as believers every now and then to, to make a two-column chart of this passage and, and, and list the qualities of godly wisdom, the qualities of earthly wisdom, and then use that as a mirror to look into our lives and say, okay, which, which describes me more, most of all? And and, and what does that mean should change? Or what should I give God thanks for? Who is wise, 3.13 of James says, who is wise and understanding among you? See wisdom and understanding brought together there? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. That's interesting. Oh, I thought it was through what you say. no. Because we all know Christians who say one thing, but their conduct is the opposite. He's talking about conduct. 
Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In the meekness of wisdom, not the arrogance of knowledge, but the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. That's a powerful word. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. What is that? That's understanding, verse 7. That describes a person with understanding. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the kind of fruit that Paul longed to see in the Colossians' lives. And so he prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, not knowledge for knowledge's sake, not the knowledge that puffs up that Paul warns of in 1 Corinthians 9, but this is the knowledge that leads to humility, wisdom, understanding, gracious, godly living. And that's how we should pray for one another as well. Because the more you grow in spiritual wisdom as opposed to the worldly wisdom of the flesh, the more understanding you will have and the more understanding you will be toward others who are walking the same road in this difficult world. God revealed his will to us in his word. And so we have to discipline ourselves to renew our mind with scripture. As Romans 12 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Did you catch that? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind. The only way to renew your mind is with scripture. Reading it, meditating on it, sitting under the teaching of it. This is how God renews our minds so that we think like he thinks. Let me ask you, Christian, are you saturating your mind in Scripture? Are you soaking it in Scripture? Do you know it only takes 15 minutes a day if you want to read through the whole Bible in a year? Do you not have 15 minutes? Do I not have 15 minutes? Do we not have 15 minutes? Check the screen time on your phone later this afternoon and see how much time you are on the screen this week. 15 minutes a day to soak in God's word so that our minds are renewed according to his word. 
And, and this verse goes on to say then that by that renewal of the mind, we may test, we may discern what is the will of God. How can we know the will of God, brothers and sisters, if we are not in our Bibles? How can we know? We can't. And so we will function by our default mechanism, which is the flesh. And then when we start to reap the consequences of our flesh, then we scream at God and wonder where he is and why he's failed us and da-da-da-da-da when he has simply said, well, you, you kind of wanted to live life on your own, so I was just kind of waiting to see when you would wake up and realize that that really wasn't the best way to go. Because he's so patient with us, so loving. So if we want the Spirit to transform our hearts and the hearts of others, we have to pray for this. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. There's a second way we need to pray, and that is pray to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. Pray to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy. So he's praying not only for their knowledge of God to increase, but he's praying that they will then apply what they are learning from God's word. That they're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. The word walk simply means pattern of life. That's what it's referring to. Anytime you see that Old Testament, New Testament, just think, okay, it's just talking about the pattern of life, the way I walk, the way I live in this world, the way I function in this world. We saw this numerous times in our series through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We are called to walk in both truth and love. This is to be the new pattern of our lives as we walk in the spirit and not the flesh. And so if you are a new creature in Christ, then you are called to live in a manner that reflects the grace and truth of Jesus. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Uh, Paul says this in Ephesians 4 as well. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So worthy of the Lord and worthy of the calling of the gospel. And then he says, this is what that calling looks like. Humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. If you are walking in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, worthy of the Lord's name, then your life will be progressively known for its humility and gentleness, its patience, its forbearance with other people. It's love and it's eagerness to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That will be evidence that you know Christ, that you love Christ, that you are walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. And this walk, Paul says, is what is fully pleasing to him. Fully pleasing to the Lord. 
I love 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10, which describes the believer's new motivation for life. Paul says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That's a, that's a really sober call to us. But Paul says, this is my goal, this is my aim, to live in such a way that I please the Lord. And one of the things that keeps me on track is remembering that though I will never be judged for my sins because Jesus endured that judgment, I will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ and the way I lived my Christian life will be judged by God. What I did with the gospel, what I did with the the Holy Spirit's power in my whole life, what I did with the word of God. That worthy walk then is the focus of verses 10 through 12. And here Paul reveals four characteristics of this worthy walk. If you're one of those who enjoys language and grammar, then there are four participles that come off of this main verb to walk. First, a walk that is worthy of Christ is bearing fruit in every good work. What does it look like to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord? It's to bear fruit in every good work. Notice that bearing fruit is not the work, but bearing fruit is what happens while you are walking worthy and doing the good works that God ordained for you. As Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship created, or I like to say recreated in Christ Jesus for good works. The good works that were ordained or prepared beforehand by God that we should walk in them. Robert Gromacki writes this about bearing fruit. The gospel has innate fruit-bearing properties but the believer must actively yield himself to the indwelling Holy Spirit in order to produce fruit. The fruit is the life of Christ manifested in and through the believer. It is the fruit unto holiness. It begets a distinctive spiritual temperament. And he goes on then to quote Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, it is the evidence of genuine discipleship and results in the glorification of God. Which is what Jesus says in John 15, 8. By this is my Father glorified that you what? Bear much fruit. Bearing fruit and increasing in the bearing of fruit is part of what it means to walk worthy. There's a second characteristic of the worthy walk, and that is growing in the knowledge of God. God is inexhaustible. I mean, we can never fully know him or all there is to know about him. So forever we shall be growing in our knowledge of God. Uh, even, Even the knowledge we have in heaven is not going to be the same as the knowledge of God we will continue to learn and grow and worship this infinite God. So the knowledge of God is to be our lifelong pursuit and and it keeps us from being controlled by 
the changes in our world or our personal lives. A.W. Tozer writes this, the man who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporary problems. For he sees at once that these have to do with matters which at the most cannot concern him for very long. It's the knowledge of God that should be our chief pursuit, our chief concern. And, and growing in the knowledge of God by studying scripture is, is the aim of every one of the discipleship pathways here at Cornerstone. Whether it's growth groups or the equip class or men's and women's ministries or youth discipleship or children's ministry, you name it, the goal is the same. The goal is to grow in the knowledge of God so that we will know Christ and live to please him. There's a third characteristic of the worthy walk. Strengthened to endure with patience. Look at verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Strengthened with all power. This is speaking of spiritual power. Strength from the Holy Spirit for all endurance and patience with joy. Patience is, is long-suffering. That's what is speaking, uh, being spoken of here, which is literally this, wrath that is put far away. Long-suffering is wrath that is put far away. Long-suffering is when you are tempted to react in anger, but you choose instead to put that wrath far away from you. And you are patient and long-suffering One work of the sinful flesh is wrath. So the spirit-controlled believer puts a distance between himself and this enemy of wrath. Ephesians 4 tells us to put it all away from us. Nothing squelches the sanctifying power of the spirit in the life of a believer more than wrath and dwelling on wrath or any other sin. We quench him. We grieve him. And we don't experience this being strengthened with all power. And then there's a fourth characteristic of the worthy walk. Verse 12, giving thanks to God for redeeming grace. Look at the words in verse 12. This is mind-blowing. Giving thanks to the Father. And then the next phrase is incredibly important. Who has qualified you? Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Giving thanks to God for our salvation should be a dominant theme in our life. The Father 
has qualified. God did this, you did not. God did this, I did not. God is the one who made us qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. I mean, if we were given 10 trillion lifetimes or more, we could never qualify ourselves for salvation. Ever. Only God could do it, and he did do it through the perfect life and sacrifice of his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's in Christ that we are qualified. Christ is qualified. We, by faith, are in union with him. And so his qualifications become our qualifications. What is that if it isn't redeeming grace? God redeemed us in Christ. In Christ, the Heavenly Father purchased us from the slave market of sin. He forgave us and he adopted us into his family. Clearly, verse 12 should lead us to shout, all praise and glory belongs to him. Can we say that together? All praise and glory belongs to him. And who is him? Christ, our Savior, our Lord. God, we thank you. You are so exceedingly gracious to us. We who are so unworthy, Lord, every one of us here who knows Christ, we were hell-bound sinners. And you graciously intruded into our lives with the gospel, opened our eyes that we may see Christ and behold him and turn to him. You qualified us to share in the saints in light. The inheritance that belongs to us in glory is beyond measure. God, I pray, help us to never lose sight of the glory of Christ in our salvation. May this be a dominant theme in our lives daily, in our worship, and in the worthy walk that we seek to live for you in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.